Okay, so we're starting our series called The Shame Game. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be thinking about this topic of shame. Now, my first reaction to being asked to do this talk was, do we really have to talk about shame? And actually, the only reason I said yes to coming up and doing this talk on shame was I didn't want to be sat in my chair listening to someone else talking about shame. Because I knew that what would happen if I was sat in church listening to someone talk about shame is that I would slowly start to sink in my seat. I would start to feel very tense. I would start to think, this is all about me. This is all about me. They're speaking about me. How dare they speak about me? They're all looking at me. How do I get out of here? Now, you may or may not get those feelings as I speak today. But actually, shame is a difficult topic. It's a painful topic. It's a very personal topic to many of us. So I want to begin by saying, look after yourselves. Okay, you may need to just take what I'm saying lightly to start with. You may need to give this some time between God and yourself. You do not have to respond today by standing up and going, yes, I feel shame. That's not what God's going to ask of you. But we are going to think about it because it is a really important topic. And I have to say, in thinking about it myself, it's really helped me in the last few weeks. And I will share some of that later. So what is shame? Um, Brené Brown, who many of you will have known and read, um, is someone who's famous for bringing shame to the attention of our society. She says this, Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. That feeling that there is something wrong with me, that feeling that I don't live up to what I see around me, I don't feel like what I think I'm meant to feel, I'm not, I'm not right. Now, shame can show up in many, many ways and feelings. It might be a fear of rejection. It might be a worry about, am I doing well enough? Am I performing enough? It might be a worry about what people think about me. What do people think about what I'm wearing today? My children laughed at me when I put on a dress today and earrings. You know, they they thought that was odd because I don't. It might be a feeling of inadequacy or failure. It may be perfectionism. It might be that feeling that you're an outsider. Or it might be that you want to hide. You want to hide behind humor. You want to hide behind um, your brilliant intellect. You might want to hide behind your faith. Shame is all these things. And actually, shame can be on a continuum from something that we feel from time to time. I'm sure every one of us feels shame from time to time. A sense of vulnerability that beneath the surface, you're not sure you want other people to see what's there. But at the other end of the spectrum is something that we call toxic shame. Often resulting from abuse or trauma or just difficult things in our history. And that shame is relentless. It relentlessly relentlessly tells you that you are not good enough that you're flawed, that you are unworthy of love and belonging. And that shame paralyzes us. 
it paralyzes us from connection with our true selves, with others, and with God. So we have to think about it. But is it biblical to think about shame? Does the Bible even talk about it? We're very used to our narrative, aren't we, in the church, of sin and guilt and forgiveness. That's our gospel. That's what we preach. That's what we talk about. And that's basically this figure on the right. I did something bad. I say sorry to God for it. He forgives me and he deals with my guilt. But actually shame is more than that. It's more complex than that. Here's our figure on the, on the other side. It isn't that I've done something bad. Shame is the feeling that I am bad. The theology of our Western church was largely developed by educated and therefore rich and powerful men in a culture where reason and science were increasingly the measures of progress. A gospel of guilt and forgiveness suited this. It was transactional. We could do something about it. We could take the bad things we do and ask for forgiveness. Job done. But actually, that doesn't deal with our shame always. We're still left with this underlying feeling that actually we are bad. Now you might think, do we really want to go there? Do we really want to get our faith and our theology involved in what you might call psycho mumbo-jumbo? Isn't that a remit for psychologists and those weird people out there, like therapists and art therapists? I speak of myself. But actually, it's very biblical. Talking about shame is very biblical. And actually, it's something that we need for our society. I don't know if you've ever tried to tell someone the gospel. You've done bad things. God says he will forgive you if you confess and repent and everything will be okay. Do people in our culture get that these days? Do they think about doing bad things? No, everything's okay as long as it makes you happy. But actually underneath that is this very powerful pull of shame. We see it in our social media. We see it in our culture beneath the do everything you want to make you happy. There is this feeling beneath that actually I am not enough. I am not good enough. I'm not worthy. We have soaring rates of anxiety, depression, struggles with our mental health in our society. And beneath all that is shame. So we need a gospel that speaks to shame. And I believe we have one. We're going to start right at the beginning in Genesis. And Genesis chapter 3 is the chapter I've been given to speak on. But I want to start just the verse before that. In Genesis uh, chapter 2 verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. There it is, right at the beginning. God created our world. God created this beautiful place and put in it these beautiful people and they felt no shame. But then comes chapter 3. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So there we have it. Shame entered the world. The woman and the man did something that God had told them not to do. They sinned. They did wrong. And as a result of that, shame entered. Now, you might notice the words used here. They felt naked and they hid. Shame is an experience that makes us feel naked. Not naked in the sense of having no clothes, but naked in the sense of being exposed, being seen for who we really are, vulnerable and wanting to cover up. And actually, it's a really interesting study to look through the Bible and see where it talks about nakedness. It makes so much sense if you read into that shame. Okay, we don't have the experience of being naked, of not being able to dress ourselves, of, you know, not being able to clothe ourselves, but we all have the experience of shame. And where the Bible says about nakedness, if we think about shame, then it can really speak to us. So there's something about being human in a world that is fallen that makes us feel shame. Instead of bearing themselves to each other, the woman and the man now cover up and they hide from God. They also believe, hide from themselves. Shame follows on from sin, but there's a complex relationship here between sin and shame, which we can see in the voices from the story. So we have the voice of I. I am afraid. I am naked. These are words of shame. 
But we also have the voices of the other. You are naked. You did it. It's because of you. Again, words that are inducing shame. And finally, we have the voice of the snake, the enemy of God, who says, did God really say that? You're not loved by God. He wants to limit you. You're flawed and unworthy of love and belonging. All these voices coming in, creating the shame. I wonder what the voices in our lives today are like. Are we listening to voices from ourselves? Why did I do it like that? Why, did I, why didn't I do better in that exam? Why aren't I performing well enough in my job? I'm bad. There's something wrong with me. I can't be worthy of love. Or are we listening to the voices of others? The impossible standards of success and beauty that our culture calls us to be. The voice of the media. The voices of our peers. You have to be like this. You have to show yourself like this on your social media. Or maybe it's voices from the past. The voice of your parents the voice of those bullies at school that brought you down. Or maybe it's the voice of the church. Maybe we come to church and we have this idea of what I should be as a Christian. Dave always says to me, Esther, your standards are too high. Because I can be in church and I can think, hear hear a talk on evangelism and think, I've never told anyone the gospel I can be in church and hear about people's great prayer lives and think, I don't pray like that. And maybe it's the voice of what we hear preached that is inducing shame in us. Brené Brown says, shame burns brightest when we have the sense that we have failed to meet an expectation that society has of us. But we also have the voice of the enemy, of Satan. And actually, he comes in on top of the other voices we hear, and he can take us to really dark places with our shame. I work with children that tell me that they want to die, that they have plans to kill themselves. I work with teenagers who are struggling against dark thoughts every night. The voice of the enemy does not want us to live in the light and takes us to the place of darkness and makes us feel rubbish. So yes, shame is a result of sin, but it's not just the result of my sin. The whole fallen mess of the world affects us in a myriad ways. Yes, I feel shame because of the wrong things that I have done. But I also feel shame because of the wrong things that people have done to me or said to me. I also feel shame because of what my society, my culture says of me. And people across the world feel shame 
about their poverty, about their inability to provide for their families because of our lives of materialism and greed. And certainly, the voice of shame is compounded by the voice of the enemy. You are not loved by God. There are many ways that we hide from shame. And I can't talk about them now because that's the subject of next week's talk and I'll be in trouble. But there is another voice that speaks out in this story. And it's the voice of God. And the voice of God is never one that shames. The voice of God in this story simply says, where are you? Where are you? I want to be with you. I want relationship with you. I want to stand with you and help you with your shame. Now, over the last few months, I've really been struggling with depression. And that's something that has occurred a few times in my life. And it's something that brings me great shame. It's shameful to have to be taken to the doctors. It's shameful to be sat in church and feel so bad and think, I believe in God, why am I feeling like this? It's shameful to not be able to sing songs with joy. And actually, we long for God to come and heal us in those places of brokenness, don't we? But what God has done is actually remove, help me to remove myself from the shame around that. And to be able to go, actually, what is it that's going on here? And what is it that God's wanting to speak to me? And I just want to share three little places where I've gone with my shame in the last few months. The first place is Romans 8. Romans 8 is a passage that many of us love and go to. And you might think, oh yes, of course, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Surely that helps. Or is it that bit at the end where it says that nothing can separate us from God's love, even nakedness? Well, yes, they're great verses from Romans 8. But actually, they haven't been a comfort and they haven't been a help. What has been is this middle bit. Because in the middle of Romans 8, Paul talks about the struggle between knowing who he is in Christ and his experience in the body. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The experience of shame is a very bodily thing. You feel it in your bodies, don't you? Your shoulders get weighed down. You feel sick. You feel yourself blushing. Actually, what God's been teaching me is actually I live in the body that is still subject to death because of sin. 
because of my sin, because of the sins that people have done against me. But actually, my spirit can be alive in him. And he gives us his spirit to help us to live out of life and not death. So where do I turn to when I feel that shame rising in me? I cry out for the Spirit to help me, to help me to know how to pray, to help me to know how to be with those feelings. The second place that I go is the cross. In Hebrews it says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I couldn't find the picture of the cross that I wanted to here. And even if I'd found it, I don't know whether I would have dared to put it up on the screen. Because in every picture we have of the cross, there's Jesus in his loincloth. But actually, they didn't crucify people in loincloths. They crucified people naked. They crucified people strung up for everyone to see. And there was a real um, sense of being emasculated, of having your masculinity and your identity stripped from you in crucifixion as everyone stared at your naked body. And that was Jesus for us. Let me just read you a little passage from a book. It's by a lady called Diane Langberg. A baby born to an unwed mother, shameful. A child of Nazareth, shameful. A man who walked the roads with women in his company, shameful. He touched lepers, demoniacs, and bothered with children, shameful. He was sold for the price of a slave, shameful. Arrested by religious leaders and publicly insulted, shameful. Dragged to the front of jeering crowds, shameful. And then spit upon, humiliated, and erected on one of the most shaming and torturous instruments of death in the history of the world. He was shamed by the world he had made. He became shame, embodied it. All could see, and he did not hide. We who are shamed creatures, whether by our own doing or due to the torment of others, are called to look, to fix our eyes on this Jesus this utterly exposed and shamed Jesus. He did not hide when he was shamed, and we are called to see. Watch him endure this torture, this jeering, this pain, the insults, the nakedness, the spit running down. The author of Hebrews calls us to fix our eyes on this Jesus, the one who we would naturally turn our eyes away from. We do not want to see, but he says, watch with me. Stare down my shame with me. And then we are told that he despised the shame. He scorned the shame. He shamed the shame. Not feared, not diminished by it, not wasted from it, not curled up and hiding. He hated it. He loathed it. He abhorred it. He considered it worthless. He considered worthless the very thing that leads us to feel utterly 
worthless. Our gospel to our world is we have a God that knows our shame, that knows shame in its most complete and degrading form. And he calls us to him in that place. And actually, as I fix my eyes on Jesus, I find I'm able to look at my shame. I find I'm able to be vulnerable with my shame. I find I'm able to expose my shame and shame it along with him. And finally, the third place I go with my shame, and I find this so much harder, but I know it's in the Bible, is we go to the body of Christ. The passage in 1 Corinthians that talks about the body of Christ being like a body says this. God has placed all the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. The body of Christ, the church, should be the place we can bring our shame. Not necessarily to expose it, but to be covered by each other, but to be loved by each other, but to be held by each other in those places. So if you're in that place today when you think, actually, I'm carrying shame, but I don't want to do, I don't want it to be exposed, that's okay. I'm not going to ask you to come up here and be prayed for. That's exposing. That's shaming. But actually, I ask you to be here. I say, well done for being here. And church, our job is to honour the people who carry humiliation and shame. Our job is to cover them, to honour them, to make them part of our body. Just like Jesus' body on the cross carried shame, the body of Christ is made to carry shame and to be that place where ultimately we will find our healing. So let's hold one another in love. Let's allow each other to find Jesus in the places of our shame. Let's pray. Jesus, we fix our eyes on you, our God. And we ask that you will come by your spirit and hold us in our places of shame. That you would come and transform our shame into your glory that you would come and help us to face the difficult things in our lives and find your healing and your hope in them. 
please make us a body where people find that they can come and be loved and accepted, whatever shame they carry. Amen.